Welcome to Women Read Scripture, Come Follow Me, New Testament. I'm Mariana Richardson. And I'm Annette Marie Lantos Tilleman Dick. And Annette, it's so wonderful being with you again. I know that we have been traveling a lot lately. So many things in our families to be excited. We have had new babies and and things that we're doing on human rights and on religious freedom. It's been wonderful, and I'm very grateful to be here. I was a little nervous about how it's all going to work. But oh, it's... I'm glad that you're here, too. I know Thank I was you. in Abu Dhabi for a conference, and you were in Washington, D.C., and then Colorado with all your family. So it's good to be back. It's good to be back together. Oh, so it, enjoy it. It is such a wonderful gift to be able to be brought together as we study these incredible scriptures. Well, and especially talk about the scriptures as women, you know, just to sit around and talk scripture. I love it, love it, love it. And a matter of fact, today we're going to be talking about John chapter 1 and talk about some beautiful poetic verses that we're going to be discussing. And I think it's fascinating to think about John himself because he is such an interesting character of contrasts. We, um, it's interesting, it, when he talks about himself in John, and first I wanted to make sure, because we talked a little bit about how sometimes people get confused with the Johns. Right. We have two very different do. Johns here in John chapter one. And I know you mentioned that some people get them confused. Well, there is John, who's book it is, who also, the the other books of John are also attributed to him, First and Second John, in the New Testament. Right. And then there is John the Baptist, of whom he was a disciple, or to whom he was a disciple. Exactly. John was a follower of John the Baptist. And um, he tells us more about John the Baptist in his book, but they are two distinct individuals. Very different. And, and I think it's important to make that distinction right now. Because we're going to be talking a lot about John the Baptist and John. All these Johns. All these Johns. I have a lot of Johns in my family, too, so I get all these Johns. Um, I have a son, John. I have a son-in-law, John. I have a grandson, John. Actually, two grandsons, John. So John is a big name in my family. One of my (laughs) beloved friends, all of her sons-in-law are named John. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, John is a great name. It is. But as we said, um, basically, John has this interesting kind of loving, loving, loving nature. Matter of fact, when we get to the John epistles, I love John 1, chapter 4, because one time I just went and underlined every single time he used the word love. And he just love, 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 love all throughout that. And also we have that wonderful, sweet, tender moment when the Savior is on the cross. And it makes me even kind of weep whenever I think about it when he turns to John the Beloved, and you know he must have been beloved to be able to give his mother's care to John. And so you know that he did. The level of trust that was there, right? Oh, and the love that he must have had. Also the love he showed to Mary to to be that, um, becoming that son, to take care of her, because she was a widow by then, and especially during those times and days, she needed a man to take care of her. I know how that feels. And I, I have many wonderful sons, and I also have incredible sons-in-law who I, I truly value the way that they care for me physically, mentally, spiritually, um, 
economically, they just are watching out for me in a way that I'm so grateful. And you know that has to be a certain kind of love and devotion. Oh, definitely. You know? Definitely. And yet we have this other interesting, and I do want to read it because I just think it's such an insight into basically the character of John when we talk of him being a son, son of thunder. But in Mark 10, and I'm just reading 35 through 40, I'm not going to read the whole verses, but basically in this insight into John's, you know, John's character, James and John both come to the Savior, and they say, Master, we would that thou shouldst do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on the right hand and the other on the left hand in thy glory. <laughs> but Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of? And be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. And this for me is also very telling about his character. He says, and they said unto him, we can. And for me, that also shows this amazing spiritual strength that John had, but also the love that he felt, but also this, you know, I can do it. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized withal shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And then in 41, we have this interesting comment. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. <laughs> so, I mean, if you have a lot of kids, you think it's really kind of funny, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Definitely. You know? The and other 10 feeling they, that But way. They, they must have been very beloved that they would dare to ask such a thing. Oh, definitely. You know, they must have felt enormous closeness to ask it. But how how wonderful that the Savior explained to them that they that he that wasn't his to assign. Right. And, and you know, these... these Apostles and disciples were incredible men. They left they everything they were. to follow him. And in John 1, we see that, you know, in, in a way that it's maybe more startling than even in the other books because John, speaking just of our John, not John the Baptist, who is a follower of John the Baptist, but when John the Baptist says, this is the Lamb of God, Behold, John, Lamb of God. John yes. his disciple, immediately follows the Savior. And so, you know, he, these were men of great spiritual Depth devotion and, and faith. Yes. You know, I just, I agree. The other thing that I see about John, too, that I find fascinating is that we do know that he came from pretty well-off circumstances. When he's called, a, a matter of fact, one of the descriptions when he's called is that his father, Zebedee, was in the boat. He was a fisherman, but that they had hired men that were still there to take over from James and John when they left. And so there obviously was some wealth and that they were doing extremely well. Obviously, John was also well-educated. We can tell that by his writings, that he really kind of knew his so, stuff and yes. knew the gospel and had been well-trained. The other thing that I wanted to say is why he wrote the gospels. John kind of gives this you know, to us, I'm just going to get to my scriptures here. I I have to admit, I love these big 
scriptures, you know, especially I'm jealous get of older. Them. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to have to get older and older them. I get. I'm going to have to get bigger and bigger and bigger scriptures yeah, just oh. so I can can read them better. But I love this big type, but it makes them kind of a little unwieldy. But in John chapter 20, at the very end of this wonderful chapter, he basically tells us why he wrote the gospels. This gospel, he said, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. So he even tells us why he wrote this for us. And it truly is his testimony from beginning to end. As we talk about John chapter 1, we're going to see the strong testimony as an apostle of the Lord that John has that Jesus was the Son of God that he truly was the Messiah, the Lamb of God, as we have already said. The other thing that I find fascinating about John is this idea of contrast, which we kind of already talked about, but we're going to see that he talks a lot about light and darkness. He's going to also bring up, you know, good and evil. He's going to show those contrasts one against the other throughout his writings. That's right. These are these are important um concepts. He he deals in these big concepts and lays it out for us with the with Jesus's relationship to these ideas of light and life and darkness and and evil. and death. We're going to and, see John also talks a lot about the crucifixion more than any other and and about you know the end of the savior's life as well, which I think is really interesting because we're going to see in John 1 where he talks about the premortal Savior. And so we have this, this wonderful, complete understanding through John. And the Gospel of John, this is different than the other three Gospels. You know, he has the most different parts, the, the different understanding than, than the other ones. Very different. And one of the things that I thought I think is so interesting, that in Matthew and in... Um, Luke, we learn about the Savior from his birth. Mm -hmm. That's the beginning. We learn about his birth. Right. And that's the beginning of his ministry. In Mark, it begins with his baptism. Right. It, it begins with him coming to John. And in John, it begins before the world was created. It begins in the great free existence. And I think that this is powerful, powerful thing for for our faith um, in the restored, the restored Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, where we believe very strongly that we also had a spiritual pre-existence. And, and we meet the Savior as the creator. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a very powerful thing. Oh, I agree. Thing. The other thing that I was going to say is, like I said, we love the Book of Mormon, and I think it is so powerful to look at Latter-day Scripture, but also as we talk about the New Testament, putting those two together, because we gain a much greater understanding of John and his mission through Latter-day Revelation and Latter-day Scripture. A matter of fact, I think it's interesting that Nephi, from the very beginning of the Book of Mormon, we have John as a part of our Book of Mormon. A matter of fact, when Nephi is having these visions of the Savior. He also has a vision of John. And he says, And behold the things which this apostle of the Lamb, which is John that we're talking about, shall write are many things which thou hast seen. And behold, the remainder shalt thou see. 
But the things which thou shalt see hereafter, thou shalt not write, for the Lord God hath ordained the apostle of the Lamb of God that he should write them. So we have the book of Revelation, which we'll be talking about later this year. But we also have, like I said, the epistles of John. And we also know that his opportunity to see the last, you know, the second coming, the last days, is a very much a part of his mission because he is still here. He is still here on earth. And well, and that is now, you know, one thing that I thought was interesting because I've always bought bought that idea that John is still on earth. As I've studied it, it does say that what is it to you if he lingers? We aren't told specifically that he will be here. He, But it is implied, and I think we have embraced that idea. Um, I think that in any, I mean, certainly one has to feel the love that he has for humanity to have even Definitely. considered that as something he wants to do to be here, to to further the Lord's work. and Well, I agree. And in Doctrine and Covenants second, seven, uh, section 7, we have this very interesting um, additional scripture about how John handled that question. And I was thinking about that. How? What would be my answer if the Savior asked me what I wanted, you know, in terms of the end of my life? How did I want to end my life? You know, what would I like? And, you know, basically the Lord said um, to, you know, John, my beloved, what desirest thou? That's what the Lord's question was. And he had also asked Peter, and Peter had said, you know, to to go to thy presence, to be with, with you. And it was more like, I want to help on the other side of the veil, you know, to bring others to Christ on the other side of the veil. But then... Um, you know, John has a very different thing that he wants. He said, I want to stay here and continue the work here on earth. And then Peter... That's important to remember the Latter-day Scripture on this, too. Oh, definitely. And then the Savior says, Peter, this was a good desire, you know, in terms of wanting to, to help. He said, but my beloved, meaning John that we talked about, has desired that he might do more or a greater work yet among men than what he has done before. So he wants to continue this great work that he started. Yea, he has undertaken a greater work. Therefore, I will make him as flaming fire and a ministering angel. He shall minister for those who shall be heirs of salvation who dwell on the earth. And I will make thee to minister for him and for thy brother James. And unto you three... Because we know that they do come back and give the keys to Joseph Smith. Unto these three I will give this power and the keys of this ministry until I come. Verily I say unto you, ye shall both have according to your desires, for ye both joy and that which ye have desired. I love that idea that they both get what they desired, even though they're different things. It is such an important principle in life, to understand that we have different ways of achieving our our purpose, our joy, our fulfillment in life. And you know what one of the one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not covet. Yes. And not coveting what's what you see in someone else because that's not your life. But to rather embrace 
your vision, your purpose, and to give it your all. You know, I mean, this seems to me a bit of what the Savior is saying there and oh, telling that to each of us, too, that what, what I'm giving to you is different, but they're both good. They're both They're good. both good, and both of them can be paths for reaching your divine destiny. And I think Peter, you know, was, was kind of worried. I mean, you kind of get that feeling here that maybe he didn't say as good a thing, right thing. as John. It's so normal, isn't and, it? And that is so normal in terms of that comparison. I yeah. know as women, we do that all the time. You know, oh, no, she has 12 children. I only have three. I mean, I get that comment a lot, as I'm sure you do too. Well, you know, sometimes I know, some of my children are like, Yes, mom, it was beautiful, and we have three, and that is also beautiful. <laughs> that is beautiful, too. And exactly. I'm like, three is beautiful, but nine more would be so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do think what he's saying here, too, is that both of them, that's their desires, and the Lord joys in our desires, especially when our desires are good. And both of these were good desires. And, you know... Mariana, what you're saying is actually very apropos to our lives because I think that as parents and as individuals, it is so important not to look on others and say, well, wouldn't it be nice if, but rather to look with a desire to give them the opportunity to fulfill the measure of their creation as they envision it and to understand that we cannot envision it for them, that exactly. Peter's choice was the right choice for Peter, for that him. John's choice, and it doesn't mean it's relativism, you know, this mm -hmm. isn't saying everything's relative, no, but we are unique individuals with unique, I mean, with very individual callings in our relationship to others, in our relationship to our work, to the church, to our lives, and, um, and the point is that both for us personally to embrace our life with everything we've got and as parents or as others to look at others and be pleased in the way they embrace their life I have to say one little thing there's a lovely woman in our ward and she has some challenges that she faces I know but she said that she really felt she wanted to do more to serve the Lord and um she had an inspiration that she should send did I say this already a joke a day no. To people. I love and, that. <laughs> well, it is the most, she has the most wonderful witty jokes and puns. All of us need puns. to laugh. All and of us need to laugh. And her list has grown and grown because people love them and they want to oh, share it with that's others. that's wonderful. And she has, by though she isn't able to run fast or to do things like that, she is able to spread cheer and joy with these wonderful, funny, good <laughs> jokes. One day I will read read to you uh, about at least 10 of her really good ones because oh, they're really good. good. That's good. Anyway, but I, I just think it's so, that is her mission and that is her, her special calling right now. Well, and I think as we read these four gospels, especially here at the beginning of our time together in the New Testament, we can see the personalities and the different personalities of these four writers in terms of the way they see the Savior and their testimony of the Savior. And that doesn't mean that one testimony is better than another or, you know, just because there's differences, that doesn't make one, you know, more spiritual than, than another person. So I think that we see those differences right from the beginning in so the many New Testament. So many different ways of being spiritual and experiencing the Spirit. And, and how wonderful that they aren't the same so yes. that we have these complementary yes. 
visions. Some of them even see things, they saw things differently or they remembered things differently. And that's fine too. And that's fine too. I do think too, from John, like we said, we see these contrasts. And I think all of us have those personality contrasts where we are loving, we are kind, and yet maybe we have a little bit of sun of thunder in us as well. You know, that that can be also a part of our personality. And yes, we need to tame that, which I, I know that John did have amazing experiences to, to have him to tame that in his life, as all of us do have experiences to help us to tame those I'm, parts I'm of our personality. I'm really, really strongly because, <laughs> yes, it is true. All of us have that. <laughs> So I, I love the opportunity to see these men and yes. women that we're going to be talking about yes. as real people, yes. as real people, it's having similar problems and issues and, and trials as we do today. Truly great. You, as, as one of my sons, my youngest son, we went to hear Elder Bednar speak once at a state conference. And this son was, was a wonderful son, but um, I was thrilled that he came and as Elder Bednar was speaking, my son looked at me and said, Mom, there is a reason that they're apostles. He said, there, oh, there's something. And they have, John, along with our Latter-day Apostles, along with the other writers of the Gospels, had special gifts, definitely. Oh. Incredible gifts. And that's why they were called. That, that they were called. The, and yet the they were they men. Mm -hmm. And they weren't perfect. And I love that John the Baptist makes that clear about himself, too. But well, let, let's talk about John. Are we ready about to talk about we're John? We're ready to talk about John. Oh, good. I think that's also a wonderful contrast between John, who lived actually a, a pretty well-off life, and then we have John the Baptist, who came from a very different way of life. Well, you know, John the Baptist, of course, was... we. He His family knew that this was a very unusual baby. And it's interesting to me how he must have very quickly understood his mission. And like you, Mariana, I, I, was, I, I went to a baptism this last week for one of my grandchildren, and I mentioned in it, this, I was speaking about baptism, mm -hmm. that Mariana, my <laughs> colleague and friend and sister, had, when she, we were talking about our, our testimonies and that when she, you were baptized as an eight-year-old child, it was an enormous, powerful experience. It was. It and was. you went it's forth been and marched on that, life. on that road mm -hmm. without going to the left and without going to the right. And I thought about John the Baptist and how he must have also gone steadfast and straight away towards his mission, which was to call his fellow Jewish, the Jews of, of Judea to repentance mm -hmm. and to, um, to call them to repentance and to prepare the way for the Lord. Um, and of course he was, he must have had enormous presence because, um, okay. because people were flocking to him, just flocking to him. And among those people were, um, some that were sent from the temple and from the Sanhedrin to say, who is this man? Who does he say he is? Because they, he is baptizing in um, the Jordan right, area. Right. And um, they era. come and say, who are you? Are you Isaiah? Are you Elijah or Elias? And he says, no, mm -hmm. I'm not. Because they, why did they, Mar Mariana, do you remember why would they think he was Elias well, or Elijah? Because he's bringing back 
the, you know, the covenant he's bringing back. He's like a prophet, yes, exactly. but also in Malachi, you know, it says that Elijah is going, it's to, going come, to come again. A right. come again. And he says, no, he's not Elijah. And they say, are you um, that prophet? Meaning the prophet that was spoken of to Mos Moses told the people in Deuteronomy in 1815 right. that he, that there would be another prophet that would be called like unto him. And that when a he deliverer, came, right. yeah, and that they needed to listen mm -hmm. to him. He said, no, he's not that prophet. And so who are you? And he said, you know, I am a voice. Said, um, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah, which is Isaiah. And they, and they that were sent were of the Pharisees who came to hear him. So he was, he explains to them, he was sent to, to make the path clear for one that would come after him. And um, what a, he must have been a very powerful person to have not been deterred from this because the religious establishment was confused by who he is. They could tell he was speaking with a prophetic voice, which right. was not a voice that had been heard in the land for a long time, this kind of authority. And they wondered, under whose authority are you baptizing with water? There were many religious, Jewish religious um, ordinances that were done with water, the mikvah and others, but, but he was baptizing with water. And um, John explains to them that I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He, he it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latchet I am not worthy to unloose. Um, and then he says, I love this, when, when he sees Jesus, he says, the Lamb of God, this is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. John the Baptist makes very clear, and John the writer makes very clear in his gospel, that this Messiah is the Messiah that is Isaiah spoke of in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. The Lamb of God who will come to lead all these sheep who have gone astray and be, but will be, will be, will be a suffering Messiah, right. will be um, not, not a triumphant Messiah. Um, but what I, I also love, he says, and um, he that sent me to baptize with water, he was called directly of God. Mm -hmm. Like Joseph Smith, who gave Joseph Smith the sword? He got it from God. Exactly. And John the Baptist also says, he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And that's a hard word. Baptizeth. Baptizeth. <laughs> I, I used to have a lisp. <laughs> baptizeth. It's a, it's a hard so one. I have to work on that. <laughs> baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. Um, and so here you have this man who must have been a son of son. Well, we're talking about John. This is a different one. But John the Baptist, who, who must have been a powerful voice in the wilderness that attracted from all over the land people to him. To listen to him. He also looked very different. I mean, in terms of the way he dressed, we talk about how he wore 
camel's hair and how he ate locusts. And so I think sometimes the novelty of the way he lived, the way he looked, also probably brought some curious eyes as well in terms of interesting, who is this man? Very true. And, you know, I think that um, one of the things that reminds us, no matter who we are and where we are, that we need to remain open to the way that the Lord is going to speak to us, that we, we need to understand that we are very blessed to have a prophet and apostles and three members of our first presidency who give us clear direction. We have a very clear prophetic church, mm-hmm. and it is, it is a huge blessing. And the Lord works in many ways, and we need to be open and aware and not be sure that we know it all. And spiritual men can be dressed in things other than a suit and a tie. Exactly. I mean, that's also what we can learn. Exactly. I think that's I, really important. I also wanted to just talk just for a moment about the authority that John had. Because we talked about the intertestamentary period previously and and how there was this, you know, the priesthood had gone and there was this period of kind of darkness in terms of them understanding what the covenant was. But we also, in Latter-day Revelation, in Doctrine and Covenants 84, have this interesting insight into John the Baptist and how he got the authority that he had. Uh, Basically, through Revelation, we have um, the gospel of repentance and baptism, the remission of sins, and the law of carnal commandments, which the Lord in his wrath caused to continue with the house of Aaron among the children of Israel until John. So, you know, that's the reason why John the Baptist came to you know, Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery to give them the Aaronic priesthood, whom God raised up being filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb, which we already talked about. He was from the moment, right? But then he was baptized for John was baptized while he was yet in childhood and was ordained by the angel of God at the time he was eight days old unto this power to overthrow the kingdom of the Jews and to make straight the way of the Lord before the face of his people to prepare them for the coming of the Lord. That's so... Marianne, I have to confess, I was not familiar with that passage, and it is such a revelation because it makes so much sense. It's why the Book of Mormon is the best commentary on the Bible. I mean, it's one example of not only the Book of Mormon, but all Latter-day Scripture. All Latter-day Scripture provide these pieces that make things make so much sense. Because that is what the... um, Now, the Pharisees, I mean, we'll talk about that a little bit later between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but they were eager to bring religion to the people, actually, in many ways. And um, they wanted to know they came, they realized this person had authority and power and people were listening to him and following. But... but, um, they wanted to know where did he get that authority. Right. And he had it at he, eight days old. I mean, he was just a baby and he was baptized and he did have so the Aaronic priesthood, you know, which I think is pretty powerful. Well, let's go to John chapter one, because there is so, so much in John chapter one. We talked about kind of last week a little bit about the Joseph Smith translation. And I have to admit, John chapter one, as you read it, especially the first like six, seven verses are really poetry. I mean, they are poetry. But along with any poem, it's kind of hard to understand. You know, you kind of read it and you go, okay, this sounds so deep, 
but I'm not sure if I'm completely understanding everything that, that John is trying to say here. And I did want to just read a couple of the verses. Just they're so beautiful. The words are so beautiful. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything anything made that was made. But as you're reading this, it sounds kind of redundant, and you're learning what is the word, and how does the word come to play? But we are so blessed because we do have the Joseph Smith translation. And when Joseph Smith was translating this part, he gives in John chapter 1, he basically kind of retranslates the whole chapter for us and giving us insights to kind of understand this beautiful poetry. So I'm going to be spending most of my time as I I look at John chapter 1 in the Joseph Smith translation rather than John 1, even though it is so beautiful, even though the words are so gorgeous. And it is beautiful, and there's a lot there, and there's a lot of culturally interesting stuff there, too, you know, because this logos, which was a Greek idea, and there are many people who feel that this was, it was because many of the Jews in that time who were well, writing spoke, spoke Greek. Greek. Right, that we was talked about how that. how they were educated. Right. And, and, um, and this creative power was logos, too, the idea of the creative organizing principles, and which is very interesting. But I think Joseph Smith, what's so fantastic is that through direct inspiration, he unpacks this for us in well, a way... And he helps us understand the kind of the put together, as you talked about logos, he uh, helps us understand the creative, but also with the gospel, how those two come together. You know, the idea of the light that Jesus is, and also the light that is in the whole world. We're going to talk a little bit about that, and Joseph Smith discusses that as well. And and this idea of in the beginning and creation. Right. what did that mean exactly? Because it's, I think that these are big questions that these insights can help us. Um, there's a word I want to use. Help us pull together the ideas of science and the ideas of, of the spiritual world as well. Oh, I agree. Well, let's read the way Joseph Smith talked about it. We, we read about the word, but this is the way Joseph Smith helps us understand it. He says, in the beginning was the gospel preached through the Son, and the gospel was the word, and the word was with the Son, and the Son was with God, and the Son was of God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made which was made. I mean, there we have such a strong testimony that this is Jehovah. This is the the God, the God of the Old Testament. In him was the gospel, and the gospel was the life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the world, and the world perceiveth not. I love that last part. And the light shineth in the world, and the world perceiveth not. Um, This past Christmas... I was listening to President Nelson's beautiful message from the light of the world. And I had been reading this in 1 John, and I thought about what he asked the world. I mean, basically, his message was to the world. 
And I just wanted to quote what he said to us. He says, as we commemorate the birth of him who is the light of the world, new light is kindled in each of us. I mean, think about what John wrote and think about what our prophet today just said. Then our prophet gave us a specific challenge. He asked everybody in the world to do this. He said he wants us to lift others daily, bring light to the lives of others daily. He said there is no better way to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, and I would say the life of Jesus Christ, than by lifting, loving, and serving others. The world needs the light of Jesus Christ, and the world needs your light. And that goes right to this, you know, verse 5, and the light shineth in the world, and the world perceiveth not, but then in him was the gospel, and the gospel was the life, and the life was the light of men. Exactly. So in order for others to perceive the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we must be a light to the world. And, and that light within us is this light which lighteth the whole world. And it is from our Savior, you know, from the Lord, which was, and it is the light that has come into the world, and it is the light by which we can see the world perceiveth it not. But by that light, we can perceive the world in a different way. Oh, I love that comment because I think that that is something the world needs right now. The world just feels so dark. You know, it feels so, so under, you know, we just kind of like, what's going to happen next? I really don't know what, you know, what am I going to read in the news when I wake up in the morning? It, it becomes kind of a, a, a scary place without that light of the Savior. And, and that light, you know, we can find it. I, I will say, as I was reading about John, I remember, John, and John the Baptist in John, um, I remember as a child, my mother read me the Bible stories, and I loved them. And I grew, I loved John, John the Baptist, you know, who was there and baptizing and preparing the way. And, and I just, that was my only religious education was listening to these stories. And when John, you know, was arrested by um, Herod um, because of his wife and his, and Sol- the daughter and the dancing and the, and I thought, why can't Jesus go and help him, (laughs) you know? I remember as a little girl thinking, why doesn't he go and help him? Of course, I think we feel that way about the world around us. Right. What more could we do to help people who are suffering in so many places? And we do things, but we don't feel like we can do enough. And yet, this great light is there for all of us. And that is a great comfort. It is not that we should not do every bit we can to magnify the light that we can do in our actions and our thoughts. But I, I realized that Jesus understood that John came for a purpose. Yes. And it still was hard when he heard that John was killed. Jesus had to go off alone. Oh, he, you know, he was hurting Very, just like all of us would be and realized he was his cousin, his first cousin. And he realized that this righteous man was not, he was, this was his destiny. Right. And I, I felt in a way that I hadn't as I was studying it now, that he was hurting, but he also understood his purpose. Right. It was so interesting how short the lives of John the Baptist and Jesus were. And yet, and, you know, Joseph Smith had a short life too. Oh, definitely. You know? 
Well, and I think in our lives as women, we can also contemplate the fact that we can bring light to others. You know, I, I, I think oftentimes we kind of belittle our light. We think, oh, you know, I'm so just true. a mom. Oh, I just have this lowly little calling or whatever, however we want to look at it. And instead, I think we need to realize the light that we bring to the world just by lifting one little person, by helping, you know, in little ways. It doesn't have to be a blazing fire. <laughs> Instead, it can be small little things that we can do that can make a huge difference. And that light, which is the same light which brings life and light to the world, that lighteth the world, can, in ways we will never know, light fires. I was just thinking, as you said that, Marianne, I have to say this, that my kindergarten teacher was a member of the church, <laughs> which I did it. not know, but I, and we were not, you know, I mean, right, I, right. Her name was Mrs. Folster, and I loved her. She, there was nothing fancy about Mrs. Folster except that when we went to kindergarten, I felt that she truly loved each one of us. And I will oh, never forget, it makes wonderful. me want to cry when I think of Mrs. Folster because really what a big impact she had. And when later in my life I understood that she was a member of the church, um, she was just radiating her light to those little children and in her kindergarten. And you felt I felt it. She had, in those days, they let us say a little, we had graham crackers and milk for our <laughs> snack. You know, we only went I in the too. morning or in the I afternoon. Know. I went in the afternoon and we got to say a little prayer. It was, thank you, thank you for the birds that think, wait, thank you for the sky above, thank you for the, for Thank you, God, for everything. everything I remember right. that. Whatever. Singing Thank you, God. Right. Yeah, yeah. Everything. I can't. I, but I, that was the only prayer that I had known. But yeah. it came from this teacher, and I loved it. I loved everything in her classroom. And the reason I mention it is I do think it is so important, whether you are a woman, whether you're a man, whether you're little, whether you're old, whether you're in between, to realize that this light that we can radiate, this is is this precious trust from our creator, and it will do its work as we consider that our purpose. Now, as you already mentioned, after this, this beautiful, you know, verses, as John was talking about the word and the gospel of Jesus Christ and the light that he brings to the world and how all of us should be that light is part of us, the light of Christ, and yet the world will perceive it not because that's what happens to the Savior while he is here on the earth, that there are very few that do perceive who he is, except John does. And John proclaims, you know, behold the Lamb of God. And and, you're, and John, who writes the book, understands, understands that. And, he's, and John he says, says that. that. He's, off. He's, yep. off. he's off. He's off. Exactly. He's, yeah. And we're going to see the same thing happens to not just John, but all the apostles. They literally leave whatever they were doing and follow the Savior. I mean, that's how fast it is. But I did want to just talk a little bit about this Lamb of God. Elder Gong gave such a wonderful talk about this idea of the Good Shepherd and the Lamb of God and how those two names are so interconnected. And he says... That's a excellent. Oh, I know. It's yes. a wonderful thought how the two go together. Of all his divine titles... No others are more tender or telling. We learn much from our Savior's references to himself as the Good Shepherd and from prophetic testimonies of him as the Lamb of God, which 
like we just said, John the Baptist said. These roles and symbols are powerfully complementary. Who better to succor each precious lamb than the good shepherd? And who better to be our good shepherd than the lamb of God? For me, that was a aha moment when I was reading this. And I thought, okay, at the baptism, and we're going to talk more about the baptism next week, but at this seminal moment where John the Baptist proclaims the Lamb of God, after that, the Savior becomes the Good Shepherd. As he calls people to him, he calls people to come and follow him. And I think it's so fascinating to look at those two basically callings of the Lord to be the Lamb of God, the sacrificial lamb, but also to be the good shepherd that all of us should follow. Now I'm going to say something funny a little bit. It's so true, (laughs) but you know, I have have three sheep who live in my backyard. Oh, I love it. I've had them. They were babies. They're they're little baby doll um, Southdown sheep. Oh, I bet they're beautiful. Well, they were adorable lambs, and they are adorable, big, fuzzy sheep. (laughs) But lambs there's something very special about a lamb and when it's interesting because we never hear the savior spoken of as the sheep of god <laughs> we hear him spoken of as the lamb, as the lamb, as the lamb. this tender beautiful perfect Tiny. lamb who is so lovely and so dear that sacrificing that lamb is a huge sacrifice. Oh, I'm sure. She, and it's hard when you see how beautiful they are. And Oh, well, and deer, you know, and sheep, when they say, we like sheep have gone astray, knowing my sheep, yeah, they're all over the place. <laughs> you know, they are funny. But they follow the shepherd. They do. And, and we are sheep. You know, I think mm-hmm. that there is a reason. I don't know that it's flattering, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that we are always called sheep. I agree. Um, but I love my sheep. But I do know that they definitely need a good shepherd to help them be safe and to find what they need and to provide for them. And and I think that it is sweet, not sweet, it is powerful that Jesus was referred to as the Lamb of God, never as a sheep. (laughs) I I think so too. And the other thing that I was going to say is we also, right after that, have this beautiful part of John 1 where the calling of the apostles happen. And we see that first, we talked already about John himself. As soon as he hears John the Baptist say that, he just follows him. And he says, Andrew does the same thing, because Andrew was also a disciple of John the Baptist as well. And then Andrew goes to Peter, his, his brother, Simon, and says, Simon Peter, we found him. We found him. <laughs> and then Philip also, you know, he's so excited. And Philip goes and, and says, we found him. And he goes and tells Nathaniel. And I know that you love the story of Nathaniel. Well, I love, no, I just love, and I, I just love that Nathaniel is a little dubious at first, you oh, know? definitely. Can anything and, com- good and, come from and, Nazareth? And, you know, I mean, there are lots of things people say that because, what, I mean, I part of the literature says that these these men who were well schooled in scripture they knew the gospel they knew the gospel they knew the, they gospel. Knew the scripture that was available at that time mm-hmm. and they knew that the that the messiah was supposed to be born in bethlehem so that was a question too why would he come from 
Nazareth, oh, you know? It was sure. yeah, which I thought sure. was an interesting question. There were some real legitimate questioning of why this would why be it wasn't Messiah, necessarily that, from Nazareth. that Nazareth was a no, bad place. People right. say that, but it was also that this isn't where he was supposed to come, come from. from. And I love in the in in the in the um first in Matthew, I mean in John 1, it says over come and see. Yeah. Come and see. And I love that that we have cha- chosen that that our that our leaders have chosen that as our guide in the gospel of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Come and see. Come and see who we are, what we are, and what there is here. And I think that that is a call. When, when, Nath- when Nathaniel came and saw, he immediately, I mean, the Savior says to him, I, I saw you mm-hmm. sitting there. And he says, you and he is immediately overcome. And I love that the, the, the Savior says to him, if that, you think that's good, <laughs> you wait, wait, till you see wait until you see what happens. That will happen. Isn't that amazing? Me. And I think to me that touched my heart so much because um, when I was baptized, um, I was baptized in Elder Cook's brother's swimming pool. Oh, I love and, it. Um, and his wonderful brother, Joe Cook, who is our family doctor, confirmed me. Um, and when he confirmed me, I was 19 years old. It was kind of a rebellious thing for me to do because my father was not on board with it, and my father was a very powerful mm-hmm. person. But when when um, President Cook confirmed me, he was, I, I'm trying to think, he was either the president of the stake or he was the regional representative at that point. I think it was the stake president. I don't remember because I really wasn't that plugged in. Sure, sure. But he said you will know greater joy than you have ever known as as you stay true to these baptismal covenants. And I remember thinking as he said it, oh, that's a lot to say because I had had a wonderful life. Right. I had a beautiful life. I had a wonderful childhood. My parents were devoted parents. They, we, had, we traveled all over the world because of my father's job and got to see so many things. I thought, I don't know How that it could get, get better? better than this. It, it keeps oh. the same. And of course, it changed in deep and profound ways. And it does get better as we follow the Savior, as we commit ourselves to that path and stay on it. The miracles we will experience through the thick as well as the thin are beyond anything we could imagine. Oh, and I I love that. I I wanted to read here in the scriptures, though, this, this come and see moment. Because for me, it's it's kind of interesting that the disciples, when they heard this, you know, behold, the Lamb of God, they made an interesting statement. They said, um, you know, they went to Jesus and started literally following him. I mean, the Savior was walking and they actually were were following him down the road. And and Jesus turns to them and says, what seek ye? You know, so it's you kind of feel like, well, why are you following me? And they said, Rabbi, which is to say, Master, where dwellest thou? Now, for me, that's a fascinating question. It wasn't like, okay, uh, you know, where can I follow you? It's like, well, where do you live? And then Jesus said, well, come and see. And they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was the 10th hour. So they stayed with him. And 
And for me, what a touching example of missionary work the Savior is giving us here. I know when we were um, working with the missionaries in Brazil, one of the things that we would have them do is we said, just have them enter into a a chapel. Just have them come in and walk into a chapel. And so sometimes they would just open up the chapel just as an open house, you know, similar to what we do with temples. But we would have, you know, the the chapel, just an opportunity for people in the community to come and feel, come and see what a chapel feels like, what it feels like to be in this sacred space. And I just thought, oh, how sacred it must have been to have gone to the Savior space. But how how open of the Savior. It's a little bit, in y- Yiddish you say chutzpah. It's a lot of chutzpah to say, <laughs> to say I'm going to come live? to your house. Yeah. I know. Where, where, so where do you live, you know? <laughs> and And his response to that, is I think such a message to us. I do too. Come, come to my come house. Be a part of my come family. Come to my house. Right. We don't come know be... too much about Jesus's house. You know, right. that's something we that we we mostly hear that he had no place to lay his head. You know, but he was somewhere, and he invited them to come. He didn't say, well, maybe after we've known each other a little better, you know, you could. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think oh, I it's know. a beautiful example for us. Oh, and especially as we talk about the importance of bringing that light to others. And sometimes that means come and see, come and, you know, be a part. You you need a friend, I'll be your friend. You know, you need someone to smile at you today, I'll be the smile. You know, I'll be the help, I'll be the lift. Um, and, and, you know, that we, we need to teach that to our children and to our children's children, that they be that person. I think that we do have a challenge in the church, which was the same challenge, actually, as they had during Jesus's time, because they were very devout people. And they were like, who is this new thing? What is this? And why are they here? That sometimes, you know, we have so many people around us that we don't take the time to see that new person, to reach out, I to agree. bring them in, to recognize that's what we're really there for, not to come and just have fun with our friends. Right. And I mean, because church is a wonderful place and it does create a world where we can have friends and family and fun. But our purpose is to share that light. And we have to keep reminding ourselves. Well, and I think the other interesting thing here is that John and Andrew, who were the ones that were probably following Jesus at that point, they didn't know quite what they were supposed to do. And I think sometimes you have that experience too, where you're kind of like, okay, I know I want light, but I'm not sure where I'm supposed to go, how I'm supposed to do it. I know a lot of new members of the church also don't even know what a family's supposed to look like. You know, they they weren't born and raised in, in a, a real family situation. Maybe they're foster, you know, they were fostered or th- their parents didn't really take care of them. So they don't know how to be a parent. They don't know how to raise a family. And sometimes they need to come and see and be in our homes and see what does it feel like to have a home? How does it feel like to have a family? That's a really good point, Mariana. I remember once we had a crazy experience. We were driving through what was East Germany um, to Poland um, because we it was my husband and I think five or six of our children, and um, it was at night. And... Um, it was a little scary because we really didn't, I mean, we didn't have GPS and we were going because we wanted to go to Auschwitz where my grandparents had died, oh, a number of them. And 
We wanted my husband to dedicate that grave to our our family members who had died there. And um, it was, you know, we were driving at night. It was very, there were lots of things on the road. It was complicated. There seemed to be roadblocks. Finally, um, we got to a town and we got to a place that looked like a hotel. We had not, it was not planned ahead. We pulled up. We were so happy. It was late. We woke up the children. We went inside. They gave us, it was in, everything was speaking Polish and we didn't speak Polish. Oh. Okay. Um, we speak, I speak many languages, but no. I thought you spoke Polish. No, no, no. I speak I Hungarian, which is, Hungarian, very, which is very, very different. It's a very Pol- hard language. The Slo- Slovak languages are Russian, Polish, Czech. Um, if you speak one, you can sort of understand the others. It's a little like, you know, if you speak French, which I do in sure, Italian, sure, Spanish. Sure. But Hungarian is completely different. So we came in, we got our place, and the next day was Sunday. Uh, and my husband got up early. We were going to go to Auschwitz on Sunday. Got up early, and the children ran down to see if there was some breakfast. They ran right up, and they said, Daddy, there are missionaries in this oh. in this, um, in this hotel. Isn't that wonderful? It was, it was um, my husband was, no. He said, yes, Daddy. They're having church here in this oh, hotel. Wow. We could not believe it. We had driven Isn't that to, we had found the one place for many, many, many miles around where they the church met. Oh, so we wonderful. went with, you know, we had, I don't know, five or six of our kids, I forget how many, um, were with us. And there was this wonderful little group of people. And one of them, this is why I brought the story up. One of them stood up, no, one of the elders came to my husband afterwards and said, we were praying for you to come here. He said, we were praying because we have all these sweet, faithful members. They have no idea what a family looks like. None of oh. them have joined with their families. Oh, isn't that wonderful? None, they've come, and we, we've been praying for something to communicate to them what it looks like when the gospel is in a family. Oh, and, and you so had such a beautiful had, family to show them. And that we just happened them. to come there. Isn't that incredible? There. And it was a, it was a wonderful experience for us. Well, as we end our discussion together today, I wanted to end with the calling of an apostle. And one of the beautiful things here in John chapter one is this ending of these faithful, faithful men that we've been talking about who are going to give their lives to their testimony that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And I thought of our own dear, dear prophet. For me, it was really interesting. In 2014, President—he wasn't President Nelson; he was, uh, you know, Elder Nelson at that point—gave an amazing talk about sustaining prophets, which I thought was so prophetic for you know what he is today. And and so he's, <laughs> but he said a couple of things that I think really go well with what we are talking about here with the apostles. He says, the ways of the Lord are different from the ways of man. Man's ways remove people from office or business when they grow old or become disabled. But man's ways are not and never will be the Lord's ways. So I thought about this and thought about him and, you know, his age and everything else. And yet he's still so spry and able to do so much. And I know in the world they would say, oh, he's too old. But he's not. Oh, my gosh. It's, he sets such a high bar for us. But, but <laughs> also, know. this talk that you're, you're referencing, Marianne, there was no reason for him to anticipate that he would be the prophet no. because he was an old 
man at that point. And exactly. Now, at 98, we have this vibrant man who truly, I don't think that there's a member of the church, and even those who aren't who listen to him, do not feel that we have a prophetic his, voice. Oh, definitely. His, yes. his words just are always so profound. And the words of the Lord. They bring light to the world, not just to the members of the church. Exactly. And he finally says, Our sustaining of prophets is a personal commitment that we will do our utmost to uphold their prophetic priorities. Our sustaining is an oath-like indication that we recognize their calling as a prophet to be legitimate and binding upon us. I love those words, especially as we end John 1, because that is the same feeling that these men had for the Savior. Yes. You know, it was a total binding of their entire lives. I mean, literally, they all gave up their lives for their testimonies. And yet we have a prophet today, a prophet of the Lord, that we can also look to and bind ourselves to. Thank you so much for that reminder of this raising of our hand to sustain and what it means in our lives. And uh, as we, as thank we you. follow thank through you, on it, we will, we will feel the blessing. Well, thank you for joining us today as we've talked about John 1. Mm-hmm.